Hi, Renier, and welcome to the Tea with Nikki. Thank you so much for joining us today. Just to kick things off, I want to ask you if you can introduce yourself, how you'd want to be introduced on the podcast. Yeah, sure. Hello, Nikki. Um, so my name is Renier. I have been a founder or an entrepreneur ever since I was coming out of Asti. Uh, I started my first business, um, which was a software business called 4i. Uh, we were some of the first people to build mobile apps in South Africa. So we built apps for everybody that had an app idea, you know, back when the App Store launched on iOS 2.3, which is a long time ago. And um, <laughs> consequently, we also started building apps for, for, for big brands. So learned a lot working with big corporates, building digital products for them, learned a lot um, building products for startups. And even through that, I've developed a love for helping early stage founders. Um, about two years ago, I started consulting uh, quite a few early stage founders, helping them make progress, helping them with strategy, marketing, positioning, product, you know, a bit of everything. Um, and then also got involved with a company that was very similar to the one I built called Specno. So spending quite a lot mm -hmm. of time there uh, leading the revenue operations uh, for the Specno team, helping them grow their revenue and their positioning in the market, and also leading the sales team. And then uh, also started a, the entrepreneur in me couldn't not build something. Uh, I've tried the agency game win once, uh, building 4i, and um, so I started a, a Tech Trends newsletter called The Open Letter about a year ago now, the 1st of November would be a year, and um, yeah, that's been going well, we've got a few thousand subscribers, and we also have our own podcast, uh, which is for builders, called How Would You Build It, uh, which Bobby and I do, and uh, that's we've been having a lot of fun meeting amazing people along the journey, and um, yeah, so the big plans for building that out is like a um, audience for now, but eventually a community of startup founders and people work, working with startups in innovation, in tech, um, you know, collaborating, sharing ideas and, and everything that goes around building great stuff in South Africa in the digital product space. So you mentioned that you, you're also a startup founder yourself. You founded 4i and now you help consult other startups to create their success as well as now being the head of revenue operations at Specno. But what were your days like as an entrepreneur when you were running 4i? Oh, well, I think the, the first thing is it's there's a massive benefit in starting a business when you're young because you're extremely naive, right? So you, you, <laughs> you think how difficult can it be? Ignorance like, is bliss, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. So, so I was quite naive, you know, we, we started in 2008 and, um, you know, we made a first sale we started developing some software and then this thing called recession hit in 2009, which a lot of young people still haven't experienced probably up until this moment. But, but one of the big traits of, of a recession and it's really obvious because of what saying, uh, sales are slow. Uh, but not slow in the sense that you're not making sales. The, the, the same amount of inquiries come through, the same amount of people are interested in things. It's just the commitments are not happening. Like people are delaying, they're blue ticking you, they're not replying. Yeah. It feels like you're doing a tremendous amount of work without anything making any kind of progress. Um, so, so that happened very early on and it was a bit of a, a you know, rude awakening to the world of entrepreneurship to start it straight in, 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 in a recession. So sales was always a challenge in the early days. Uh, and then, you know, I think what is very important for every entrepreneur is trying to figure out what is your way of selling. Like, I don't think there's one specific way. Like, I've read a lot of sales books and a lot of times I'm like, this doesn't fit my personality or the way I do things. Like, it's really hard for me to sell this way that this person was extremely successful in sales are trying to do it, right? 
But what happened in the 4i is through lots of trial and error and effort and putting ourselves out there, I realized that the way that I like to sell is through relationship um, and and really believing in a product and then being really persuasive um, around the value and then also making sure whatever value gets delivered along the line, you know, I take responsibility for that. And mm-hmm. and that combination uh, got us a bit of success. And I think the other thing that got us success is because we were willing to try everything, it was early stage, someone asked us to build a mobile app, which was just happened to be at the beginning of a massive wave of people wanting to build apps. You know, we, we did so. And the first one we did at a tremendous loss, but we learned lessons and we had something to show for it. Uh, and from there, you know, more people asked, cool, can you help build us an app? And eventually some of the bigger brands came along and, and we built all of their apps, which was a lot of fun. But that really helped. It was this combination of really trying to figure out how to sell, selling something unique, which there was a lot of demand for and very low supply at the time. And um, yeah, just just willing to take a stab on something and, and, and also being very naive. I think that's a, it's quite an important quality in the early, or, or something that a, a young founder can harness and use to their advantage, just like just try things. So it sounds like... Being young and naive is a very good thing for a founder, for for someone wanting to start their own business. Yeah, it it definitely is because yeah, I mean, building a business is extremely hard. It's it's mm. the hardest thing you can possibly do professionally. And I think, you know, sometimes people, well, I think mostly people underestimate how complex it is because our frame of reference of what complexity is, is probably limited to the amount of complexity we've been exposed to before in our life or actually observe other people being involved with, right? So unless you've actually built a business, you have no appreciation or little appreciation of the intense complexity of making this work, mm. right? the balance that constantly needs to play out, the pressure, the stress, the... And I think, you know, it's that for, for that reason, I, I think it's definitely not for everyone, which is completely fine also. Um, but it's also something that I think, you know, founders that are successful and managed to pull it off should be rewarded handsomely because it is extremely complicated. <laughs> so, you know, and I think um, the naivety, it helps in the young days. I think when you get older, you're less naive, but you're more experienced, right? So. Mm. Instead of trying 50 things and 49 of them failing, if you're young and naive, you know, that's the recipe to success. Just just move yeah. quickly, do many things, and don't worry about it too much. Now that I'm older, I think deeper about things, and I won't try 50 things. I'll probably try 10, and seven will fail. So I'll get three successes in the same amount of time. I just wouldn't have tried 50 things. So in your lessons of learning about failure, um, you know, in, in a startup business and also with your consulting, what are two key lessons that you've learned from your startup days and also working with startups? Yeah, I think one of the things is um, uh, when, there's a, when there's a hype, like, I mean, there's a, when we started, there was a mobile, mobile app, you know, like anybody wanted to build an app. You couldn't go to a brand and say you work in software about someone going, hey, I've got an app right now. Um, you know, it, it, it feels exactly like you can't go to a bribe without someone going, Hey, have you used ChatGPT before? Or have you been, you can now use Dolly 3 to create images and I'm building a cartoon. I'm writing a novel. I'm integrating this into my product. Like everybody's talking about AI and, and that's awesome. But there's, a, there's obviously, it was the same with Web3 and crypto two, three years ago, right? So everybody's talking about is, oh, you need this and um, you need to go into DeFi and you need to start, you know, these, these decentralized apps or the future of banking and all of that stuff. 
and and in all of these scenarios, like ninety percent plus is probably hype, right? Everybody just getting excited, right? Uh, and at one point, the hype cycle reaches its peak, and then everybody starts looking at, but is there what is the real value here? And the majority of people go, oh, I actually don't need a mobile app. Oh, actually, uh, we don't need these you know, decentralized applications on the blockchain. Or why do we even do this on a blockchain? Like, what is this? why does this make sense? And AI is not there yet, but it's going to get there. Like, everybody yeah. and, his do- and their dogs are implementing AI. And, um, you know, they're going... And spending lots of money, and I don't think it's wasted money. It's less it's just school fees. People are going to learn. Wow, we can't use AI for this, or oh, it's actually not working the way we thought it would. So, so you know, the hype cycles are very important to identify for two reasons. One, I think the one can capitalize on it. So, if you if you go into AI, there's a lot of there's much more demand at the moment than supply. So, specifically, if you're an agency or services business. You can pivot into that space as a massive opportunity. The second thing that I, uh, disclaimer or warning, I just want to add to it is being aware that this is a hype cycle and at some point it's probably going to reach its top and crash. Okay. And that's something that happened for us in 4i. So, so we were building native mobile apps uh, and we were going well and we were looking at Cordova and, you know, Microsoft had this. Couldn't even remember what it was, but 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 these tools that you can write once and deploy to iOS and Android, right? And we had um, we never built on that. We built native apps, um, but then you know React Native became mainstream, and we're like, ah, it's just one of those things again. Uh, little did we know, we were at the top of the cycle of native apps, right? So we didn't we didn't anticipate this thing to crash as soon as it did. And it didn't crash. It was just a pivot towards React Native, people asking more questions around what is value, a rise in amount of mobile developers that are available. So all of this just meant that we rode this wave too long, right? And, you know, <laughs> anything about surfing, at one point you just get off the wave because there's no more momentum to take, take you forward, right? And that's, that's really important. So these hype cycles, if you want to get into AI, understand it is a hype cycle. Understand, you know, see how you can ride this wave to get maximum out of it. But no, at one point, it's probably going to die down. And I'm not saying AI is going to die. It's definitely not going to die. But AI is going to get to a point where people really look at, you know, how or really understand how do we apply this into our business. And those use cases will remain. But that's in a, by far in a minority. So, so that's the first thing. And I think the other thing is, you know, if you're going to be building AI, you know, building AI stuff now, really get to the heart of what is the value to use this year. Because I think that's, in every hype cycle I've seen, like that's what people miss. So you know, even us, we were building apps, and you know, to be honest, a lot of the apps we were, we built, and like I, I actually those apps didn't really have a need for existence. Like, you know, I, I couldn't understand how users would actually use it. But you know, at the time, you know, you caught up in this hype cycle, and you keep building, keep building, keep building. But you know, looking back at it, it's, you can see, oh, okay, a lot of those things actually, you know, app maybe wasn't the best um, place for a user to engage with those kind of things. Um, so I think that's that's a very important thing. And um, and and I think if I can add something, I mean, you asked um, lessons uh, from failures. I think you know to add on to the hype cycle, the most Important thing in business, I think, is to make money and to know why you're making money. Like, that's a good place to be, right? Yeah. The majority of businesses that I've engaged with, um, either 
don't make money and they don't know why, which is also not a bad place to be because you can go, okay, cool. I, I need to continue to tinker and figure out how this thing can make money. But by far the most dangerous place to be, and I see a lot of businesses in this place, is they make a bit of money, but they don't really understand exactly why they're making money. And at mm. some point, you, you're exposed to, you can stop making money, uh, and then you don't know what to fix. You don't know what to change. You don't know who to retrench. You don't know how to change the team. You don't know how to change direction. And the example of this is very, that's very relevant is in an hype cycle, right? So if you're building something in AI now, you can't keep up. You can't keep hiring enough people. You know, you're implementing AI solutions for clients. Everybody's going, go, 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 build stuff. And then all of a sudden, everybody goes, well, is this really adding value to our business? And, then, you know, okay, they start canceling the contracts. And then, you, you know, you could find yourself in a, in, in a difficult spot. But if you understood that the reason that you're making money is because this is a hype cycle and, you know, people are throwing mm. money at everything without necessarily understanding the value of this for them as a business, perhaps you'll be more or less aggressive in your hiring and growth strategy, understanding that at one point, you know, the hype will die and, and then you're in a good position. But that why, if that why isn't clear, you know, you could find yourself exposed uh, when some of these cycles change and or when, when the environment that you're operating in changes. That reminds me a lot of, uh, have you read the book by Simon Sinek, Start With Why? Yes. So would you suggest that many startup founders, entrepreneurs start with that book as well before launching a business, you know, coming back to the fundamentals of why are you doing this business? Why are you creating these products? And always having that as like a central theme in the business. Yeah, I think Simon's book is awesome. And I, and I recommend any, everybody to at least watch the talk. You know, the famous talk, the TED Talk, I believe, one of the first TED Talks ever. I think that he put TED Talks on the map by doing that talk um, on, on a whiteboard or a, you know, what is like a flip, flipboard writing those circles, right? So, so I like the thinking of it. And, you know, his example also that he uses in that specific video is about Apple. That's a very good example because it, mm. you know, anybody that's used an Apple product could relate to that and, and have this aha moment of going, yes, that makes sense. Practically, I've always really wrestled with the, with the process of coming up with a why without really understanding the what and the how, right? So I think it's much more organic uh, in the process of getting to a why than it is to start with a why. So my approach would much rather be, you know, start with, start with a problem that you think you would enjoy solving. Okay, so a lot of times people start businesses and they like the outcome of what it could be in terms of how they would be seen or perceived when they reach that outcome. Okay, so let me break that down. So some people say they want to be a startup founder. And if they're really honest, the only reason why they want to be a startup founder is they think once the startup is successful and they're wealthy and they are respected, they like that state of being. They like, they like to be seen or thought of of that. Yeah, right? That status. That status, really, right? Um, and that's not really sustainable because, because that, the, the way we think about ourselves, we, we, we sometimes, um, discount it or change it. Right. So we go, you know, maybe I can't be the richest guy in my town, but I can fifth richest would probably be fine. Right. So, so this is a moving goalpost, right? So, so if, if that is your motivation, you're constantly going to move the goalpost as things get difficult and complicated. Right, mm -hmm. so it's not a sustainable way to actually drive you to achieve anything. But what could be a sustainable way is um, 
actually saying, you know what I enjoy doing is I enjoy solving very specific problems, right? I enjoy figuring out how to do things, or I enjoy uh, resolving conflict between team members, right? And this is beyond entrepreneurship. This is like career advice, I would say. Like, like find problems you love solving, right? Mm. And find a career that requires a lot of those kind of problem solving. Because okay, you can't get away from solving problems. That's that's how we generate value. Problems getting solved generates value, and value, you know, is pretty much money. And that's how we make money, even as employees. Like, I mean, we can get it to the most simplest of jobs. Like, I've got a problem. My garden is a mess. I need someone to solve that. Right? So, <laughs> if someone likes gardening. They can, you know, come and solve that problem for me. They generate value, and you know, they get paid for it. So, so instead of saying, cool, you know, what is the status I want to achieve or what, what am I thinking of? Like, try and find problems you like solving. Once you find the problem mm. you like solving, you can think of, um, is this potentially a startup, right? And then, you know, coming back to the start with why, what, what starts happening is as you get you really engaged with the problem and go, cool, how do we solve this? How do we, you know, is it this way, that way? You know, how do people want it solved? What do they want in the process of wanting it solved? When do they want it solved? So in this process, you really start figuring out the what and the how, but then eventually you go, you know, this, this why almost comes to the surface without you having to stop that why, right? And, and I think also a very meaningful why is I want to do complicated things, get it right, figure it out, make money in the process, have fun. And I think that's an awesome why, <laughs> like, you know, not all of us are building Apple. <laughs> like some of us just want to have fun work and money while doing it and move forward in life like and i think that's a very very um respectable uh, why yeah and speaking of starting with why it kind of takes me to the next question of you know finding your aha moment but i'm curious to hear more about your tech newsletter so you know you said you started the open letter which it's a newsletter that speaks about technology startups businesses so what was your aha moment to make you decide to start the open letter um, I think it was a combination of stuff. Um, I I signed up for Sam Parr is um, a guy who started a tech newsletter in the US, I think two, three years ago called The Hustle. And if you're not signed up for The Hustle, I can recommend it. It's quite, quite cool. And it's a daily newsletter where they, 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 they don't speak about like, oh, Apple is launching a new product. Like that's not what they talk about. They'll go... The reason why Apple will pursue a specific technology is probably because this, this, and this, right? So, and, and that I found interesting because Apple building a product is a bit so what for me. It's like I read mm. that headline when I scroll on Twitter, but someone really unpacking yeah. to me that, you know, why is um, mixed reality the future frontier of computing, right? Like mm. just raising some of those points. It almost feels like, wow, I'm sitting in this meeting of strategists at Apple exploring you know, where's the next opportunity for us as a business. Now, as a founder myself and someone who works with founders, I found those kind of thought-provoking insights really exciting. Like I thought, wow, it stimulates my thinking. It gives me peripheral ideas. And I don't know, I think it works like it's for most people, but ideas stimulate ideas, right? So if you and I, if, if you pitch an idea to me, right, you're almost asking me to critically think about it. And if I do, mm. you know, other ideas spark up and then all of a sudden we might have a completely different idea that has nothing to do with it. So, so I really enjoyed reading the hustle. Um, I also saw in South Africa that uh, there's nothing like that. And all the tech journalism, I mean, we've got great tech reporting, 
Um, we just don't have a lot of people deep diving into why things, um, you know, wh why are people investing in certain businesses? Why do some startups work and others don't? Like, what is, what is the behind, what is the why actually of why things yeah. work? See, it and starts with why. It starts with what. So, um, so we, you know, I was thinking about how can we build a, something similar to Russell. Uh, or even Morning Brew, for that matter. Morning Brew is another popular American-based daily newsletter. Um, something similar to that, but with a South African focus. Like, mm -hmm. specifically South Africa. Perhaps later Africa, the reality is I'm not operating in Africa at the moment, so I don't get exposure to startups outside of South Africa. So it's a bit hard to get insights and learning. So we started specifically focusing on South Africa. Um, and yeah, if... <laughs> We said, cool, let's try this out, put it together a year ago. I'm not a writer by background. The beautiful thing about writing is the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And somehow people think it gets better. For me, it feels like I'm still writing the same, but people say it's getting better. So that's a good thing. And um, yeah, we've been doing that. Oh, our moment was really just going, I think there's an opportunity here because no one's doing it. And mm. I can see how much I'm enjoying the content from America. I just wish it was more relevant to the space I'm operating in myself. Yeah. Um, and you know, we, that, that's really where it came from. Yeah. I think a little tip for you to see about your writing is look at the first newsletter that you sent and look at the last one. And then I'm sure you'll see vast improvements and differences in because, that. Like that thing, you never watch yourself on a video, like you never read yeah. your own writing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, I can read what I've written, but watching myself back, sometimes I cringe a little it bit. It is cringeworthy. Really you useful. To, really you useful, but, yeah. but cringeworthy. Yeah. So I want to backtrack to um, what you were talking about earlier, you know, um, you know, making sure that you're not just following a hype or a trend and not getting caught up in that because eventually those trends die down. And mm -hmm. you've mentioned quite a lot about AI. So what are your thoughts on the current AI trend? And is there another new tech that's on the horizon that you think might be a new trend afterwards or come into being a trend now as well. Yeah, I think we, we, we're going to see different iterations, versions, applications of AI now for the foreseeable future. Like it's, it's, it's a big topic. I think something which a lot of people don't appreciate is the amount of electricity and water for cooling these systems need and processing power in order to keep them running. Like, um, it's, it's no, I don't think anyone knows. It's getting bankrolled at the moment by Microsoft and Big Tech and all of these guys. I mean, they're not, they're not making money as far as I understand. So, so the question of how this would become economically viable remains unanswered. I think because of what people have seen, it's captured the imagination of everyone. I mean, let's mm. be honest, like the first time we all engaged with ChatGPT, it was, it was pretty impressive. Like it is. It is. For a yeah. while, you, you figure out it lies a bit and it's a bit stupid. And it's really irritating how it apologizes. So you, you see those things in time. But it is, it is definitely, it is quite impressive. And I mean, do you think it's, it's not even been out that long? I think it's mm. about now. Um, so, so it's really impressive and I think it captured the imagination and people jumped on a bandwagon and, and started building things and which is awesome. Uh, but you know, hopefully the technology would catch up to a level that it becomes economically viable. And I think it would, I think there's enough investment going into this to, to, to figure it out. 
Um, it it is an extremely complicated thing, and there's so much content on this. We don't have to dive into it too much. But I mean, just the whole music industry. Like, I'm, I'm, mm. I honestly don't know what they're yes. gonna do. Like the voice, yeah. Like Drake's voice is on every single song ever now. Like I don't know, poor Drake. They've picked Drake on every to um to make music with. <laughs> I don't. It's really hard to distinguish. Yeah, I, I'm sure a pure fan would be able to recognize it, but I don't. <laughs> that's different to me. It sounds the same. So, so that's really tough. Um, but but what I do think is going to happen is we're almost going to see a resurgence, and it's the same with movies, right? So you can imagine, mm. like, just AI-generated movies of any every single actor in the world ever. Like, why do they need actors anymore? Um, but what's going to happen is there's probably going to be a rise in demand for live performance. So I'm thinking mm. we might see a rise in theater. We might see a rise in, you know, live music performance. So instead of, you know... Taylor Swift going, here's my album on iTunes. She goes, I'm, I'm going to put out songs only on live performances. You can only come and see them in person, right? Which I think is, mm. is we're not far from people doing that. You know, the only yeah. place you can hear these mu the, this music is if you come and listen to it live and, you know, yeah. all the ticket prices. And, and there's almost like some of these futuristic movies, if you think about it, is there's this, always this sadness of humans going, oh, I miss the human stuff right i miss the real authentic yeah. stuff um and 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 that's what i'm thinking about it's like we we're going to develop a longing for real human connection real human interaction real human experiences for that matter created by humans uh, yeah. because that's really what ai is doing like it's it's commoditizing some of the basic functions humans used to do in the past right so you know get someone to do admin for you well now you can get a bot to do it for you Right, so so now we've we've raised the bar of this, and now we go okay. Well, what's left for humans if those things are not going to bring meaning and positive contribution to the things we involve with? Well, what's the next frontier? It's like well, connection, relationship, um, you know, craft, appreciating craft, mm. and we yeah. we kind of seen some of that, by the way. If I can get a bit philosophical, but you kind of see that in the mm. whole craft movement, right? So craft beer. Like, why is craft beer a big deal? Yeah. Like, it's because people go, you know what? SAB is mass-manufactured beer, and it all tastes the same. Like, and now people go, okay, this guy, which I has a passion for making a great beer, you know, and crafting it, I want to support this guy. And we see it in all kinds of things. It's happening in coffee. It's happening in, you know, in food. Like, we see this resurgence of people having appreciation for human beings putting effort to make something beautiful, tasty, wonderful, great experience that's meaningful. So, so I'm, I'm thinking we'll see more of that going forward as, as all of the old human stuff gets more commoditized. Do you think that'll free up a lot of our time as people as well to be more social then? Because there's also the scares of, you know, the metaverse being incorporated into the workspace, making people lazier, you know, people not going to leave yeah. their homes. And obviously with technology, we're more connected, but less socially. So, I mean, you go out for lunch or dinner, you see people sitting there scrolling on their phones. Yeah. So I know that that's also, uh, humans, they, are they going to have more time available to them? Or so, are things just going to be more pressurized because now you have AI to help you? So how can you not do things more efficiently? Uh, so I think, look, with any technology, it is, there's a good and a bad side. It's just unfortunately most of the time the bad sides just tend to dominate the good that it brings, right? Um, you know, we speak about people being less connected than ever before. It's weird because we have this technology that really helps us connect better than ever before. So how did this happen, right? 
Um, yeah. and, but, but I think the, the, the root of it all, it's this, this, this weird dichotomy that we're trying to make our lives as comfortable and convenient as possible, right? So why, why do I want to do something if AI can do it for me, okay? But, but on the other side, we really get fulfillment and meaning out of work, specifically hard work that results in positive results, creating value and then earning money, right? Now, for, for anyone who hasn't really experienced that, I don't believe that to be true because everybody thinks, well, why can it, how can it be fun to work on, right? <laughs> okay. Because it's hard work. It's difficult. It's complicated. It yeah. makes you tired, right? But, you know, inherently, like that is the biggest progress we've seen in humanity is whenever people put in hard work, right? And there's mm. a lot of fulfillment in that. So for this to free up time for us to sit around and lounge and have community, I don't think that's going to be practical, but I do think the people that realize that, look, work, the, the object of life isn't to stop working. That isn't the objective of life. The objective of life is to attempt meaningful things, get it right, uh, complicated meaningful things, get it right, you know, and get a sense of fulfillment out of doing that, right? Now, that functions within communities, societies, families. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm talking specifically about work, but even in our families, like, mm -hmm. you know, being a dad is, is, is a, sometimes a complicated task, right? But yes. going through, you know, the effort and the sacrifice of doing that well and the work to do that well and getting good feedback from people as your children grow up, you know, that your children are becoming adults that are positively contributing to the world, you know, that is, that, that brings a sense of fulfillment, right? But that's work, right? So the, so the essence yeah. of all of this that brings fulfillment for us is work and effort and sacrifice, right? And, mm -hmm. and that's, why, that's why, you know, this big movement of AI doing all the work and, you know, we did a piece once on, on universal basic income and, you know, how people are trying to build things that machines generate value and the value that machines generate go into a pool and that, that money gets distributed to all the humans ever and none of us ever had to work. That for me sounds like a way for people to get really unhappy for someone else to have all the control over someone. Like it's, 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 you know, work, work is a good thing. And, um, you yeah. get out of people that are, that are working hard, getting results, they enjoy it and they enjoy the contributions they make. And, and, and I think that's, what's important in all of this is like, AI shouldn't take our jobs. AI should just lift the bar what we can yeah. accomplish. Like. You know, yeah. the complex things we could have achieved before AI, you know, is now stuff that is quite easily achievable in some cases, which now means the complex stuff we need to continue to do is, you know, beyond that point, which, which yeah. is the way to look at it. So it's not, let's, let's not stop working. Let's just go for bigger dreams, bigger goals, bigger, bigger ideals. Yeah, just one more question as well before we move on from this, because I do find the AI topic very fascinating. I mean, I use ChatGPT myself for the podcast to help me, and I fully believe that AI was created so that it can help. We work with it. It's not to take yeah. jobs. It's to help us enhance us. You know, uh, we work with the technology, but there's also been a big rise in movement. Like you're saying, you always see sort of all the bad sides of a new trend. So with AI, it's it's a very powerful tool that can also very easily become quite a dangerous tool to use in society as well. You see the likes of Elon Musk going to Congress and appealing, you know, for there to be uh, restrictions, to be laws put in place as well to just um, contain AI because it can very easily be weaponized. What, what are your thoughts about, you know, 
putting laws on AI and restricting it? Sure, it's a, it's a complicated thing because I mean, whenever when, whenever you put a law in place, you pretty much move the power from whoever built something to a politician, right? And in some cases, that's not a good idea anyway. It's like you know, you, you're just shifting it to someone who actually doesn't understand the technology and could probably use it for for other gains, right? And I'm, I'm generalizing a bit. I'm not saying there aren't politicians that aren't good, but generally, you know, if we look at history, mostly that's how it's, uh, how it's gone down. Um, in terms of regulating it, I, it is, it's a, the problem is the technology's moved way too fast. Like, I mean, regulating mm -hmm. it now, it's like, well, I don't, I wouldn't even know where to start. We've got every single industry being influenced by this in such a significant way. We haven't actually dealt with the issues of how we got to this place. I mean, um, a lot of these models have used data that, um, you know, or that was available on the internet, but the data that they've used, they did so by breaking the license agreements of those platforms that made the data available, right? So mm -hmm. I, I don't even think we've, we, we, I think some of those cases are starting to come up now, but I mean, it's almost as if it moved too fast, right? So, yeah. so regulating it, I think there is a level of regulation absolutely necessary. And, and you know what, I think a, a great example of how technology moved way too fast for a regulation is how unusable the internet have become because of cookie things. Like every website yeah. you hit, do you want to use cookies? And the freaking X or deny or whatever button is always in a different place. Like, like I mean, it's, it's the worst user experience ever, right? And what happened? Like no one regulated how the internet's getting used and how personal information is getting shared. Mm. Right? So, you know, these companies went ahead and built these things and now we have to regulate it afterwards. And now it's just the worst experience ever. It's like, it's just, in my opinion, it's almost breaking the internet for me. It's, it's just yeah. delay. It's so annoying. It's, a, it's the most annoying thing about the internet. Um, and yet I do understand the benefits of that, right? I do understand mm. that the regulation resulted in this isn't necessarily a bad thing for me as an individual. It's just such a prohibitive thing for, for using this tool, which is the internet. And I think AI might mm. end up the same way. You know, imagine asking AI a question and before it gives you an answer, it gives you like 50 prompts of accept, accept, accept. In a similar way we're doing with cookies because you now have to accept all of these things in order to just get a simple answer out of thing. Then I'm like, well, I'm mm. not sure if this is useful anymore for me. Like for what it was designed for, this is just the user experience is just too bad. So... Unfortunately, regulation will probably do that. Um, unfortunately, regulation is probably required. Um, but I do, I, I'd love to see a movement of people in industries going, you know what? Let's not fight this thing and say block it, ban it, poison it, whatever. I know that I'm just busy poisoning AI, which is fascinating, uh, which is just a way of trying to trick it to not be able to do what the artists do uh, and copy them, which is like, are we in World War Four already? Like, what's happening? Are we fighting machines now? Like, we're poisoning machines. Of yeah. It's just insane. This is the stuff sci-fi movies are made of. But anyway, um, you know, industry is really going, you know what, it is what it is. Like, let's figure out how our industry needs to change into a world where these things are a reality. And mm -hmm. um, I mean, an example of that would be, like I said earlier, like music art is just going, cool, I'm doing songs only live. I'll perform more. You're going to work harder. You're going to do more shows. But yeah. that's what it takes in the future to to be in the space, and that's what you love doing. Well, that's how the landscapes change.
Yeah. Well, just a uh, last thing before we move on. Sorry, I feel like I keep saying that. Uh, but you're saying now, is, you know, what, what are we in World War for now that we're fighting machines? I think I agree as well. It needs to be regulated. And I think it's just maybe contextually where it gets regulated because, I mean, we've seen the news articles where there was those drones that had AI, you know, artificial intelligence, and they actually shot down a tower that was giving it instruction. They were doing a drone testing and it actually killed one of the soldiers in the tower as well. So I think it's just to avoid, um, you know, like maybe when it comes to military using AI, there should be regulations because it's something that can very easily be weaponized and then we are going to find ourselves in a World War Four fighting machines because they override the code because they were built for one sole purpose mm. and you're now blocking them for fulfilling that purpose. Yeah, and I think probably the, 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 the most scary immediate place is, you know, if we, if we think about scammers and con artists that try and get into your internet banking. I and mean, fake for them, news. You know, for, for, but for scammers specifically, it's a number mm. scam, right? So if I attempt 10,000 people, I'll probably get one person to, to be stupid enough to fall for my scam, okay? So, so if they can now use AI to do 10,000 a day, imagine how many people are they going to scam. Yeah. So, and we've seen some of these reports coming up, robo voices, phoning, doing phone calls, doing checks, like all these things. So, so, you know, that, that I think is something that's going to be, is we'll see a lot of that coming up in the next yeah. while. It's so even something as basic, I mean, those spam emails we all used to get, right? I mean, the spelling is so bad <laughs> and I think I'm going, there's no way a bank emailed this thing to me. Now they can use chat GPT to create that email, right? They can mm -hmm. very convincing email. Now, I know it sounds simple because, you know, a lot of people still check at the email address or whatever, but, you know, I received the email a few days ago, which I thought like this, this definitely looks legit. And then I checked the email sender. I'm like, okay, it's not legit. But because of these tools, like people that are not proficient in the English language can now, you know, be very proficient and, and yeah. be much more effective at that. How do you regulate that? No idea. Uh, maybe we should just spam marketing, uh, block marketing calls altogether. Like it's become completely illegal for anybody <laughs> to phone anyone about anything. That could be fun. <laughs> oh, I would not mind not getting those marketing calls. It's like, hey, so we have a funeral plan. Do you want to hear about it? No, thank you. I do not. <laughs> and, and somehow, I don't know what the, you know, what's a big problem. We don't have enough people in South Africa for them to call because it takes them about two weeks to get back to phoning me again like they've, they've phoned it seems like they phone 62 million people every two weeks because every two weeks and <laughs> people phone me i'm like it's incredible it's like no one wants to buy your stuff you just, just starting from the top again phoning everyone just so, gotta think where's your uh information leaked publicly that they keep calling you <laughs> it's probably where you fold them in a security complex you know that <laughs> i really don't know why they need my mobile number probably for them to sell it to someone yeah, 100%. Uh, so moving on from this topic, I just wanted to ask, backtracking to, you know, the conversations about startups, founders, and uh, the open, open letter as well. But in in your career, what has been a business blunder that turned into a blessing? Sure, a blessing. I'm actually building a business. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, I mentioned about it being, re being really naive when I started my first business. And, you know, a few months in, I'm like, what the hell have I done? Um, and then, you know, at one point business wasn't going well when we, we, we tried to pivot and we couldn't, you know, um, you know, make it small enough, fast enough. And I think, I, th I think something that's, that's very little spoken of is how difficult it is to 
close a business, specifically like an agency, right? Yeah. An agency is quite easy to start. Well, relatively easy compared to a product, right? Because you need a first customer and then you hire someone to do the work and you work with that person, you do it and you grow, grow, grow. Eventually you have 10 employees, okay? If you have a 10 employee agency, it's practically impossible to close it down. So, so anyway, so I found myself in this thing. I'm like, oh, what am I going to do now? You can't really close it down. Nobody wants to buy it because it doesn't have a balance sheet. So it generates cash flow, but it needs me, like the founder, to continue to help it to generate cash flow. So, you know, you can't, you, you can't sell it unless you stay. And if you stay and you don't own the shares, do you still want to work there? So, so it's a very difficult thing to, to, to work around. But so, so at the time, really at times felt like, oh man, what have I started here? I, I wish I didn't do it because now I can't get rid of it or close it or do whatever with it. But you know, years later, looking back at it, it was a massive blessing because what you learn building a business is obviously not something you can learn not building a business. Like you learn yeah. re doing really complicated things. You learn to operate at a level of intensity and stress and that that makes you comfortable with that level of stress uh, and obviously helps your career no matter what you do after that. Um and really that experience is, is, is worth a ton because yeah. when, when your life depends on it, which is often the case for founders when they're building business, your decision-making changes substantially. Like even, even if I would, as an employee, if a mistake could lead to you losing your job, you could always find yeah. another job, right? But, you know, as a founder, there's often more at stake. Like every, every mistake you make could be not only fatal to the business, but it could bankrupt you, right? Yeah. So, so the, the level of effort and thought and insight that, sh, that you gain or the level of thought and effort that you put into decision-making is substantially more. And because of that, the level of insight and experience you build is substantially more than being an employee. So I think, you know, to answer your question, business blunder is probably starting it, but yeah, what a blessing <laughs> of what we can learn through it. <laughs> and, um, yeah, now now doing it with all that experience, it, it is definitely easier. Yeah, I think on the other side of the coin, you never think, you always think about starting a business, but like you say, no one thinks about what it's actually like to close a business because, so, you know, not all startups run for years and years or get to the level of like an Amazon or things like that. They do come to a close at some point in time and it can be for various reasons. But coming from that, you know, I, I'm assuming you obviously don't see the business as a failure. It was just something that, you know, had to be closed down. And obviously you've mentioned a bit about failure as well, talking about creating apps that failed, that didn't go. And then you wonder why you built them. And also having the naivety when you're younger to be able to just go after things and to try and fail and, you know, fail quick, essentially what they say, you know, fail fast. I think failure is so relative. And I think that's, that's mm. you know, we, we think of it as obsolete, right? So, I mean, I mentioned the company, we're in a position we can't retrench people fast enough. We need to grow, you know, make it smaller. We eventually did a share swap deal and eventually I managed to sell those shares. So I got an exit out of a situation that didn't look like there was anything there, right? On the one mm -hmm. hand, you look at it and go, oh, it was a failure because you were in that position. But then if we, if we zoom out a bit and look at the entire timeline, I built a business and I got an exit, right? Yeah. And so, so, you know, so it's very relative as to what failure is because one could have argued it was a failure because the business should have been worth substantially more, but you know, it really, really isn't. So it, it really depends on how far you zoom out, what you look for and what you think is failure. 
So what is your view on failure in general? Um, you know, perhaps it's, it's, it's guys are saying, well, the, the, the business has rules, right? And, um, and I think that's probably the most practical and most useful way to think of it. And the rules of business is that an organization needs to be able to survive, right? And the oxygen in business world is, is cash flow and, and profitability mm-hmm. that leads to generating of positive cash flow. And, and those are the rules. So anything that plays by those rules and don't succeed at surviving is in business world is a failure, right? Mm-hmm. But the mistake we make is we sometimes take that, those rules and that failure and project it onto ourselves in a personal capacity. That's not human failure. Human failure yeah. looks completely different. Right? Human, human failure is probably, geez, that, that's a very philosophical question that I think about it. What is human <laughs> failure? Um, yeah, it's, that's really hard to define, right? But what I can tell mm-hmm. you, human failure and business failure is not the same thing. And as founders, if you can separate those two from each other and say, you know what, um, you know, for me, human failure, what would it be? It would be giving up on my marriage. It would be, you mm-hmm. know, walking away from my kids. It would be not making an effort to look after them. That, that, that for me personally would be human failure. For another person, it might yeah. be, right? But that, those, those three failures I explained for me personally, it's got nothing to do with business. It's got nothing to do with business failure. Mm. Like business failure, a business failure is based on there are rules, how these things work. And if you don't manage, to, if the business doesn't manage to, to play by those rules and be successful in surviving, that's a failure, right? But even in that business failure, there's personal accomplishments and che- achievements and progress through learnings, insights, mm. games relationships built um, that is just worth so much that could actually lead in personal success even though there was business failure. And I think that's where yeah. we separate it. And why is it hard? Well, if you don't make your business personal, I mean, I'm really passionate about my newsletter, right? It, for me, it's personal. Yeah. So if someone unsubscribes, yeah. I take it personally. I've, I've learned to deal with that, but I do take it personally. <laughs> but, um, and it should be, right? Because if I don't take it personally, mm-hmm. I don't value it. Uh, but yeah. now if the newsletter fails does that mean i fail as a person it's no it's just it wasn't a viable business and i mm. think that's important to distinguish it like that but it's hard because it, 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 it like i said it, it it should be personal just moving on to the final question before we move on to the quick fire round but i just wanted to ask just to bring a little bit of lightheartedness to this all is what was a cinematic worthy cock-up moment for you in your career no, I can't think of something now. Oh, let me here's here's a lucky story. So um so we were we we had this agency and we were building mobile apps and then we're like, cool, you know, we know how to build apps. Uh and then we're like, okay, cool, we're gonna start building our own apps. So, you know, we built this app where um it was called helping out and then you know, charities can list things tasks they want people to do and people can do it and they can earn some tokens and the tokens you can swap for other stuff conceptually a really cool idea but we were a we, we were an agency right so and 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 there's a massive difference between someone that really owns a product and makes that work into an agency so we did that we built another app which was not a mobile app but it was like this this cool little tool and this was the best party trick ever um USSD, right? If anybody still knows what USSD was, but in the old days you can recharge your cell phone using USSD. I think some people still do. You buy airtime and then you put in the voucher. 
but we built this really cool thing that you type in a USD code and then someone's cell phone number and hash, and then you, you know, submit it. And then all of a sudden your phone rings. And as you pick it up, the other person whose number you enter's phone rings also. And then you're actually doing a phone call with each other, right? But neither of you are paying for the phone call because both of you got called and we connected with technology in the back, right? Really cool. Only thing is we paid for all of those calls. So we were like yeah. party drinking away. <laughs> I was just thinking. <laughs> we were party drinking away like, are we going to sell ads in this? I'm like, listen, you need to listen to five hours worth of advertisements to pay for this call. Like it's, it's never going to work. But we were like running with these things. So we had this app. We built that thing. We built another thing that I think is actually starting. Some other people are starting to get it right, but you know, doctors waiting rooms, you have to fill in that massive form, right? So we mm. let's do this whole thing digital. We try to convince doctors to use it and that didn't work. So, so really like three major investments into building products, realizing that, you know what, you, it's not build it in your camera or you put out tech and it's nifty and it's cool party trick, but you know, really building from a understanding a customer, understanding how a business model could work from the start instead of just building tech yeah. and hoping for the best. Which is also, by the way, one of the reasons why I'm building the newsletter because um, I, I, you know, first time building something, we built product first. We're like, here's a, here's a product, right? And then a lot mm -hmm. of people say, second time you build for the customer first. So you talk a lot to customers and you build something. Third time you build an audience first. So, so we're building an audience first and adding value to them and converting that into a community and then going, okay, cool. How can we now monetize it? How can we now sell products to it that add value? Obviously, um, how can we build community out of this? So, so yeah, I learned, I think hopefully I learned <laughs> something from those lessons, but yeah, I spent a lot of money, um, and none of those things. On really, other people's calls. <laughs> yeah, if, any, if anybody wants to buy technology where you can make people cool for free and you fit the bill, then um, let me know. <laughs> uh, thanks so much. So now we move on to the quick fire round. So just first thing that pops into your head. First question is that if you could change people's perception in the world about one thing, and it can be anything, what would it be? Yeah, that hard work is good for you, like I said earlier. <laughs> yeah. uh, two, what is the worst piece of advice you've ever received? Uh, build it and they'll come. It was up there. Um, and starting a business is easy. <laughs> and three, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Yeah, so the best advice is, is, is probably along the lines of understanding you know that a business i mentioned that a business you know has these rules and you know oxygen for a business is mm. cash flow so you know a lot of times we get stuck in ideas and we go cool big idea but you know ultimately it comes down to business needs to generate money uh, and then it can live and grow and be uh, be fruitful and if you could live in any book which would it be or if you don't read fictional books what book would you highly recommend um, so I think a book that helped me think completely differently about business is a book called Zero to One by Peter Thiel. And he was part of the PayPal gang back in the day. Yeah, um, great Zero to One as well. Super good. Does make you think differently. Yeah, it doesn't tell you how to build a startup, but it tells you how to think yeah. differently about startups, which is really useful. Um, yeah. And I think it's so applicable for South African founders. So a lot of times you can watch Y Combinator things, and they're great, by the way, but that's how do you build a hyperscaling IPO bound startup in the USA mm. versus, you know, over here it's a bit different. Where zero to one just helps you think differently, which you can then very practically apply in, in how you build startup in South Africa. 
And five, three people that you would have over for a dinner party, dead, alive, or fictional characters included. So it's Rugby World Cup time. Um, <laughs> so yes. I'll, I'll go number one, Sia Kulisi. And the reason being, I, I just love the way he thinks about people and, and leadership and dynamics. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't go for the obvious you know, technical answers. He always thinks deeper about things. He has this mm. deep way of connecting with people. And um, uh, I, I think that's really awesome. So, so he would definitely be up there. Um, I'd, I'd love to have dinner with um, Steve Jobs because I think Steve Jobs was probably, he was probably 20 years ahead of his time. Um, and you know what's fascinating is... Um, there's a, a, a lot with a lot about Steve Jobs that makes me think about Elon Musk. Like there's a there's a similarity in absolute mm. opposition about craftsmanship. So you know, if Steve Jobs is not willing to come back from the dead to do it, then I'll swap him out for Elon Musk. But that would be kind of a similar <laughs> category for me. Uh, and then I would say, so we've got a sportsman, a businessman, and then we can make it a bit more political. So, so Ivan Nelson Mandela or Martin Luther King Jr. I think that would be fascinating. Also because of the, the way they think. Like, I think mm. sometimes when we look at history, we can, we can go back and say, you know, um, at that time, oh, this person said that. You can read the speech they said. And, you know, in modern context, that speech doesn't seem meaningful. But if you look mm. at the time they were living in, and for them to be, have the ability to actually think in that way, I think that's, yeah. that's, that's, that was, you know, I'd love to understand what made them think that way. It's the same with Steve yeah. Jobs as well. He was so ahead of his time. Like what was different in the way he thought that pioneered so much. And, and I, and actually, to be honest, all three of them have that characteristic. I think Siakulis is living in a time now where he's pioneering a way of thinking about South Africa, which a lot of people in South Africa are not thinking about, you yeah. know, about, you know, bringing everybody together and thinking, you know, about the bigger picture in such a, such a genuine and authentic way. I think that's a lot of what we need in this country. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree with you more. And I also always love watching Sears um, after, you know, like those media chats and then also what he's just perpetuated online as well. I think this was one of the best things making him captain and though his leadership is amazing. And rugby is just bringing South Africans together. We might hate each other, the government at the moment, but, you know, as soon as the book are on, we are all united and we're all such happy supporters. <laughs> Absolutely. And no load shedding. Can you imagine? No load shedding, no problems, nothing is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you so much, Renia, for uh, sitting with me today and having this discussion. I really appreciate it. Thanks, and you. I'm sure we'll be in touch in the future. Awesome. Thanks um, for having me. Had a lot of fun. Thanks. Cheers.